Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 21 of the 2022 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft-eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And I'll tell you what, as of this taping, April 11th, the morning of, we're only 17 days away until Roger Goodell walks out onto that stage in Las Vegas, Nevada, prime time on Thursday, April 28th, to finally announce who Jacksonville is taking number one overall. Is it going to be Aiden Hutchinson, who we all expect? Are they going to throw a little bit of a curveball? Could it be Trayvon Walker, Trent Baalke getting a guy with a little bit more length? Could it be Kayvon Thibodeau, the most explosive of the pass rushers? Or could they really throw that curveball in there because Doug Peterson is an offensive-minded head coach? Could we see Ike Aquanu or Evan Neal go number one overall? We'll have to find out here in a couple of weeks, and hopefully as things continue to progress, the picture will be a little bit more clearer for us. Right now, really not entirely sure exactly how that's going to play out, but I think they do need, they've got Trevor Lawrence on the on offense, who's really that leader. They need that same type of leader on the defensive side of the football. I think in terms of changing that dynamic and changing the culture, Aiden Hutchinson is likely going to be that guy. And we started that conversation in last podcast as I released my three-round mock out on readyforthedraft.com. And we took a look at the first 16 teams with a first-round pick. And what's crazy is with so many teams with multiple first-round picks, there are only eight remaining teams that we need to cover that have a first-round pick. That's right, there are eight teams on the back end here that we'll also be discussing who are without a first-round pick. Now, every single one of those teams have at least one. Now, note that I said one because there are a couple of teams with just a single day two selection, but everybody at least has one. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at really what I can envision happening over the first two days of the draft with these teams. A lot to cover. We'll go ahead and jump right into things. And where we left off, we talked last about the New England Patriots. And what's crazy is, is now we're already at number 22 overall. The Green Bay Packers. And this is one of the teams with multiple first round picks. They get this pick in the deal for Devontae Adams. The Raiders giving up their first round pick. One of those teams that is without a day one selection. And when you look at the Green Bay Packers, when you trade away Devontae Adams, it's striking the amount of production that that ultimately you're you're trading away. And this is a guy who, look, despite the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers is coming back, uh, you know, we know the the $50 million over, you know, for three straight years, $150 million. uh, I think Devontae Adams ultimately, you know, saw the handwriting on the wall. He's going to Vegas where he's actually reunited with his college quarterback in Derek Carr. Both of those guys played at Fresno State. But when you look at the production, I mean, it's undeniable. Uh, By himself, Devontae Adams, 123 receptions, 1,553 yards, and 11 touchdowns by himself. So the returning trio... Now, and I say returning trio because Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown are both gone in free agency. So that leaves Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Juwan Winfrey as the top returning wideouts. And they combine for 946 yards on 76 receptions and 13 touchdowns. So when you talk about production, 
it was essentially Devontae Adams and everyone else. And we've talked about getting Devontae Adams some help at that receiver position, getting Aaron Rodgers some weapons. And now really the hand has been forced at this point. You're talking about a franchise where they haven't drafted a receiver in the first round since Javon Walker in 2002, but it's finally time for the Packers to invest in receivers early. And I'll tell you what, the top available wide receiver at this point could very well be Jamison Williams. Blitnikoff Award finalists always seem to gain separation vertically. Uh, really was that that security blanket for Bryce Young, uh, you know, weapon down the field to go to at will. You know, and he played in just 10 games at Ohio State, transfers to Bama, and look, 79 catches, 1,572 yards, which is 19.9 yards per reception and 15 touchdowns. Sounds a lot similar to the type of production that you saw out of Devontae Adams. Uh, explosive off the line, good acceleration uh, to get full speed in a hurry, sudden moves, um, at the stem to set up his man and and really driving in and out of his breaks to, to really create further separation. And then when that ball arrives, he just always seemed to be able to use those long arms to an advantage to extend for the football. And really, obviously, the, the biggest concern right now is his availability. Tore his ACL in the national championship on January 10th, but it's said that Williams is already ahead of schedule. Uh, told James Palmer of NFL Media that he's actually shooting for a return by training camp. Now, that would be huge uh, to ultimately give him time for some build, you know, building some of that chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. I think when you look at Jamison Williams, he's 6'1", 179 pounds. They're not the biggest guy, but look, again, he, he's, he's a long-limbed receiver with absolute speed. You want to see how he recovers from that ACL, but this is a guy who can get vertical. Uh, and here's the thing. Even when they played against... Uh, Cincinnati, and they were trying to take away from him, uh, you know, from a vertical standpoint. He was still a guy that was trying to work underneath, and you saw a lot of that out of him. Uh, really didn't get to see that a whole lot, and, and that was one of the things that I appreciated, was actually getting to see him work the middle of the field a lot more than just pushing the, the, the field, you know, with a post or with a vertical, you know, one of those nine routes. Uh, so I'm really excited to see, you know, with Jameis Williams coming back, I think he would actually, you know, really fit in well with this receiving core. You've got Randall Cobb, who's more of that, that slot possession guy. You've got the bigger receiver in Alan Lazard. I think this would be a nice fit. You also have to remember there's Amari Rodgers as well, another guy who can be a slot receiver, uh, you know, depending on the production there with, with Randall Cobb. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. So Green Bay at 22, they, they got Vegas' pick. So now, uh, just a few picks later at number 28, Green Bay selecting again. And, and now I think there are a number of different directions that you can go with this pick, right? Uh, you know, the Packers lost uh, Lucas Patrick and Billy Turner in free agency. That leaves John Runyon and Royce Newman starting at guard with Elshon Jenkins, likely the candidate at right tackle. So when you're talking about that offensive line, that has to be uh, an area of priority, right? So one of the, the areas that I could see them go is at that guard position, target Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green, um, if either of them fall to number 28, but I just don't see either of them being on the board. But that means Sean Ryan, Jamari Sawyer, Darian Kennard, Chris Paul, all options after round number one, right? And then with Trevor Penning off the board, I think Green Bay would be reaching if they went after, uh, you know, Tyler Smith, uh, Bernard Raymond, or Daniel Fa'alele with this pick. All of the guys that they could potentially pick up on day two, uh, along with Abraham Lucas and, and Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, right? So this pick, I really think, focuses on uh, the defensive line. 
Now, and the Packers need to get Kenny Clark some help. And they did bring in Jaron Reed, but I, I you know, I, I think that shouldn't be the only move up front, right? Especially with with Dean Lowry entering the the final year of his contract. And I, if Devontae Wyatt, and look, this is another pick where Devontae Wyatt might not be on the board either. I think he can go up as, as high as um, potentially 19 to the Philadelphia Eagles. But Devontae Wyatt, look, 6'3", 304, uh, ran a 47740 at the Combine, so freakishly athletic. Uh, you know, the calling card here is the exceptional burst off the football, beats his man, slips blocks, beats double teams, gets early penetration into the backfield. You see the uh, lateral agility to get inside the zone block, locates the ball carrier quickly, closes in a hurry. The effort has never been questioned. This is a guy who's going to continue to work to make a play on the football. He's going to chase guys down from behind. He's not going to be afraid to chase a guy 20, 30 yards down the field, much like Trayvon Walker uh, has exhibited as well. Um, so I, I love the effort that you see out of him. I, I think Dan Lanning um, you know, did a tremendous job with this unit there uh, with the Georgia Bulldogs, and uh, this is going to be the, the latest guy. You team him up with Jaron Reed and Kenny Clark, and now you've got a formidable defensive front. And when you look at that team and you look at them defensively, you've got Preston Smith, you've got Rashawn Gary coming off the edge, rushing the quarterback. Devondre Campbell, we know, is a tremendous athlete. You've got Chris Barnes there as well. I think Green Bay could be looking for a, a linebacker in some of the middle rounds. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But I really like this pick for Green Bay if they can make it happen. Um, you know, I think it would be an A getting out of there with a receiver and a defensive lineman at the end of round number one. So then you move on to round number two. And again, you know, Green Bay getting another pick from the Vegas Raiders. And uh, I think with this pick, you have to go offensive line at this point. And Daniel Fa'alele, look, he's 6'8", he's 384, just a massive, massive human being. I, I think you have to, to call an Uber to get around this guy. He's so big. But he, you know, what's crazy is, is the movement skills for a guy his size. You know, and, and look, don't let the size fool you. you know, I, I think a lot of people really, the narrative with Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, coming out of Oklahoma, you know, that combine, he just, you know, he just didn't move very well, and I think that might have scared some teams off a little bit. But you see what Orlando Brown is doing now. He's a he's a Pro Bowler, All Pro type left tackle. I think Faalele, his home really is going to be on that right side. But look, you know, when when was, uh, Minnesota wanted to run the football, they ran you know ran right and they ran right behind Daniel Faalele. So I I love that pick there for Green Bay. Um, you know, they ultimately get that tackle, which allows them to have some versatility there with Elshon Jenkins, likely move him inside at guard. I think that would probably be the better move. That would really solidify things up front. Um, you know, Newman probably would be more of a, of a role player uh, in that situation. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there for, for Green Bay, but I love that selection there. And then when you look at, at Green Bay there at 59, second, second round pick, and... I thought about an inside linebacker here, but it might be a little too early. So ultimately, I'm going with Maje Sanders out of Cincinnati. 6'5", 247. Could he be off the board? Sure. And, you know, there, there's no slight there with Maje Sanders having him come this far down in, uh, in the draft. I, I think one of the things with him is, you know, you've got a guy who you know, he showed up at the combine. It sounds like he might have been sick. He was 6'5", 2, uh, 228. 
Now he's at 247, ran a 4.6740, uh, you know, but a guy has really good length. I love the burst coming off the edge. That's going to give you another pass rusher to team up with Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. I like the pick because it, it ultimately replaces Zadarius Smith, and you know, I, I think that's going to continue to give you weapons there on that defensive side of the football. If you get Devontae Wyatt, then you go ahead and you get Myjay Sanders. You're starting to build a lot more speed. We saw with Devondre Campbell how valuable he was with his speed on that defense. This just adds more speed coming off the edge, and I, you know, I, I think that really fit well uh, there for Green Bay. And then you move on to round number three, and this is where Green Bay can get an inside linebacker. And ultimately, I'm looking at Darian Beavers, and he, he just gives off these Zaven Collin vibes. And I mean that in the best possible way, because this is a guy who is very athletic and very versatile. He can drop into coverage, play sideline to sideline against the run, and is pretty good getting after the quarterback as well. And if you look at the stat sheet, the stat sheet will back that up. Uh, you know, this guy in his senior season there with the Bearcats, 98 tackles, 11 going for loss, four sacks, an interception, and a pass breakup as well, a couple of forced fumbles, nose for the football. And look, he didn't do a whole lot at the combine, but, you know, this is a guy, he weighed in at, I think, 260 or pretty close to it. And he was throwing down 360 dunks. It was absolutely ridiculous. He slimmed down. He's actually 6'3", 243 at his pro day. And you know, showed off an 81 and a half inch uh, wingspan. So when you think about that from a wingspan standpoint, this is a guy who has tremendous length and runs a 4'6", 740. 39-inch vertical leap as well. Short shuttle was a 4.17. Three-cone drill, 6.93. So, you know, this guy, again, he's very long. He's very explosive. And, you know, the change of direction was you know, was on point there at his pro day. And, uh, you know, I got to thank Jim Nagy there, the, the director there at the Senior Bowl, posted all of that on, on the Twitter. So, you know, he says, you know, big, long, explosive, change of direction, plenty fast on his Twitter post uh, after uh, you know Darian Beavers at his pro day on March 24th. And I have to agree 100% with, with Jim. You know, I think this is just a, a box that you can absolutely check off as the athleticism matches what you see on tape. And so I think you get some more athleticism there for the defense. So if, if you're looking at things and you're scoring at home for Green Bay, that means you're getting Devontae Wyatt in round one, you're getting Majay Sanders in round two, and you're getting Darian Beavers in round number three. Speed, speed, speed. And I think that's one of the things that Green Bay has been asking for, and I think there's really kind of a change that's really been happening. I think it's kind of been ignited by Devondre Campbell. We saw what he was able to do there as he came in, and you're just going to continue to add to that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun to see exactly what Green Bay does with their picks. And I noted that, you know, Green Bay may double up on a receiver. I actually am starting to work on round number four and actually have Green Bay taking a receiver in round four. Uh, Green Bay actually is selecting at 132nd, and I've got them taking Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame. 6'2", 200 pounds, uh, you know, a, a guy who you know, had a decent season there at Notre Dame, but I, I, I think this is a, a guy whose uh, best football is probably still ahead of him. Uh, ran a 4'4", 3'40", 39-inch vertical leap, 
Um, did you know, miss 2019 due to a violation of team rules, a couple of foot surgeries, um, so he missed most of 2020. But this is a guy who I think you know it's a redemption story and, and a guy who I think has decent size, but then he has the speed and the athleticism to back that up. So uh, you get a couple of wideouts there for Green Bay in the first four rounds, and then I think they can start targeting maybe a little bit more of that offensive line and, and fill in some of those other holes, especially you know looking at the secondary, you can add some depth. Uh, pieces there as well so when you move on from green bay then you move on to the arizona cardinals and arizona look you know it's it's really a, a tale of two seasons with the arizona cardinals uh, you know this was a team that started out the season like gangbusters you know they were they were winning games left and right um you know they, they started their season nine and two lost four of their last six after the bye week and got trounced by the rams in the playoffs you know kyler murray Look, you know, he finally seems to be back on the same page. You know, we had the whole issue this offseason with him deleting the social media. Uh, you know, any mention of, of the Cardinals. Um, ultimately, now the organization can focus on the draft going forward. We don't have to worry about that piece. You know, and when you talk about things, you know, and you're looking at the landscape overall, Steve Kime, look, you know, you've got a top 10 offense and the 11th ranked defense, but there's still going to be areas that need to be addressed, right? Uh, Max Garcia left a free agency, and, and while I know Will ha uh, Will Hernandez uh, was signed to fill his spot at right guard, um, he feels more like a depth piece, so I wouldn't rule out Zion Johnson here. I, I think Johnson has that five-position versatility, uh, could fill an immediate need of right guard and then kick over to the pivot after the aging Rodney Hudson's contract runs out at the end of the 2023 season. I think that makes a lot of sense defensively. Cornerback position appears to be in good hands with the duo of Byron Murphy, who led the team with four interceptions, 12 pass breakups, and then Marco Wilson, a fourth-round gem. Um, even after bringing in Jeff Gladney, I, I think they could use another corner on the outside to allow uh, Murphy to really excel in the slot. Trent McDuffie would make a lot of sense if he were to fall, uh, but don't rule out Kyir Elam, Andrew Booth Jr. Um, I, I think both of those guys, and even you know Kyler Gordon, could potentially sneak into this pick here. But I think ultimately when you look at, at the pass rush, I think that's really the area that I can see uh, the, the Cardinals addressing first. And when you talk about it, you've got 39 sacks a season ago. 21 and a half of those were racked up by just two players. Marcus Golden, Chandler Jones. No other player finished with more than four sacks. Now, Chandler Jones is off to Vegas, right? So that leaves Golden without a running mate coming off the edge. Now, Devon Kennard is slated to start but he wasn't much of a factor last season. Failed to register a single sack. So I'm looking at George Karloftis, the guy who, you know, is... People are talking about him really anywhere from a top 10 pick at one point to, hey, he may be at the very end of round number one. I, I think really the, the high teens to the early 20s is kind of that sweet spot for George Karloftis. He's 6'4", 266 pounds, the junior from Greece, is a guy who I think is is a lot more explosive than people give him credit for. You know, I think people were talking about him being more of a power guy, and a lot of people talk about him with his shorter arms. But look, I think at least in terms of the athleticism, I think Karloftis put all of that to bed at Purdue's Pro Day. He, he put on an absolute show. Ran four seven one to four seven six, and, and mind you, you know this was in the frigid you know thirty degree temperature there. Um, and this is a guy, look, you know, 38 inch vertical leap, bench press 225, 21 times, ran a 4 3 6 short shuttle as well. And when you talk about 
the athleticism. You know, this is a guy who, again, he came from Greece, where he was actually a world-class water polo player, actually played on the Greek national team. Uh, and this is a guy, look, um, when you talk about Karloftis, uh, there's a lot to like. Again, heavy-handed and a guy who's going to use some of that brute force coming off the edge. But look, I think there's more bend to him than what meets the eye on the tape. I love the handwork as well. A guy that's going to continue to work to get to the quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone remembers the 2019 season as a true freshman. 17 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, and then you know, ultimately in 2020 only plays in two games. But then 2021 comes back. 10 tackles for a loss, four and a half sacks. I think teams really keyed in on him. Still have four pass breakups and a couple of forced fumbles. Uh, return a fumble for a touchdown. Um, but th this is a guy, look, you know, let's not get it twisted. This is a guy who's going to continue to put pressure on the quarterback. He might have been a step late uh, getting into the backfield. Still racked up quite a few pressures. Uh, and what I like about it is Karloftis is a guy that can come in here and really push Kennard for that starting spot and I think he'd be a nice fit there along with Marcus Golden. I think Golden um, he led the Cardinals in sacks but he can't do it on his own. I, I think this is a guy who's going to need a running mate and, and George Karloftis feels like that right type of fit. So I mentioned that they need to get a guard um you know, some offensive line help, and they, they need that guard, someone that's going to be able to help take care of Kyler Murray, because look, Kyler Murray was getting sick of, of continuing to get drilled and have to pick himself up off the grass. You know, this is a guy who has to be protected. He is your investment long-term. So ultimately, I, I think this is going to be where they get a guard. Uh, they're at number 55 overall, and I'm looking at Darian Kennard out of Kentucky. 6'5", 322 pounds, and uh, th this is a guy, he played tackle at Kentucky, but he feels a lot like Cody Ford. You know, you look at the body type and uh, the play there at right tackle. I think he's going to kick inside to guard and uh, ultimately take over that starting spot there at right guard over uh, Will Shields. I think that makes a lot of sense for Arizona. And then after that, Arizona in round number three, I mentioned that they might need to get a cornerback. And I think this is really kind of that sweet spot there for uh, Arizona at that point. So with Arizona at 87 overall, Martin Emerson, MJ Emerson, 6'2", 201 out of Mississippi State. A lot of length, a lot of a lot to like there for Martin Emerson. This is a guy who I think, look, they, they were able to, to hit a home run with Marco Wilson in round number four. I think there's a good chance that they might be able to do that again here with Emerson. This is a guy who has 15 pass breakups in his career. A guy that likes to get physical uh, coming off the line as well. And uh, he's a pretty good athlete. You know, he showed up at the combine and uh, ran a 4-5-3 a at 6-2, but really good length. 32 and a half inch arms. This is a guy who I think makes excellent plays on the football. Uh, again, that 4-5-3 might be a little bit of a concern you know, at that cornerback position, but this is a guy who I think is going to be uh, a nice player there on the outside for Arizona in round number three. Moving on from the NFC West to the NFC East one side to the other and now we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys sitting there at number 24 overall and really what what's Dallas going to do here I think this is a another pick where we can go in a number of directions right and we saw Dallas finish the 2021 season with a 12 and 5 record they win the NFC East but they failed to get past the wild card round right and so I know Amari Cooper was traded we are going to see them get a receiver at some point but please please if you're going to ultimately move the needle and get past the first round of the playoffs and challenge for 
uh, a potential berth into the Super Bowl, you're going to have to address the trenches, both sides of the football. And I think that's really what they're going to what we're going to be seeing here. You know, they lost out on on Randy Gregory. But they did sign Dante Fowler Jr. to team with Demarcus Lawrence. I think that might temper the need for another edge rusher. But if George Karloftis were to fall to them here, I think Karloftis might end up being the guy. I think that would be a great asset there for the Cowboys. You know, because look, I think Karloftis has that versatility to play, um, you know, in either a 34 defense or put his hand in the dirt as a defensive end in a 4-3. Um, on the other side of the football, the Dallas O-line, you know, look, this has been one of the premier groups in the league, right? But Connor Williams left for Miami. Lyle Collins was released and is now in Cincinnati. We know that the line's going to look a lot different in 2022. So Connor McGovern and Terrence Steele are going to be stepping into starting roles, right? But both need to really elevate their game and will be free agents at the end of the season as well. Plus, there's a long-term health of Tyron Smith. That has to be considered. This is a guy who I think is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, four-time All-Pro, named to his eighth Pro Bowl this past season, even though he only played in just 11 games. Six straight season that he hasn't played a full season. So I think now is the time that you draft an offensive lineman, especially one who can play multiple positions. And I think Kenyon Green could potentially be that guy, but I think this is going to be where Zion Johnson is going to come off the board. 6'3", 312 pounds, out of Boston College. Played at BC after transferring from Davidson. Started at left guard in 2020 before kicking outside to, to left tackle for a senior season. At the Senior Bowl, coaches took advantage of his intelligence and high football IQ. Moved him inside to the pivot. Excelled there at center as well. Right, So I think his future is likely along the interior of the line. His play at guard would be an upgrade over McGovern. Um, but that five position versatility would allow him to play anywhere on the field if needed. And I think chances are they'll probably be needed virtually every position because um, there are a lot of question marks. Um, you know, I wouldn't even rule out if Tyler Biotis is not going to be the guy there at the center position, you could also move Zion Johnson inside and play that pivot. So you give some of that versatility. Could he fill in in, in a pinch for uh, Ty uh, Tyron Smith? I think he could. You know, I think he could also fill in for, for Terrence Steele as well. Uh, but I think his home really is going to be along the interior of that line and uh, really solidify that group there for Dallas up front. So Dallas, day two, what directions do we go? We've already mentioned defensive end. We've already mentioned receiver as well. And I think those are two of the picks that they're going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, but I think at 56, if they could get Sam Williams out of Mississippi, I think that'd be a great pick. 6'4", 261 pounds. This is a guy who's all about speed coming off the edge. Now, I know that there are some some possible character concerns. There was a suspension with him. Um, you know, some off-field troubles that they're going to have to check into. But this is a guy, look, in terms of effort on the football field, there's no question that this guy... Um, Plays with a high motor, 44640 at the combine as well. So when you're talking about speed, this dude can absolutely dial it up and get after the quarterback. And I think when you're talking about production, Sam Williams made sure that 2021 was his best year. 12 and a half sacks, 15 tackles for loss, four forced fumbles to go along with 57 tackles as well. This is a guy who I think is going to play with his hair on fire, and I think it'll be a nice fit right there opposite Demarcus Lawrence, take a little bit of pressure off of him, that speed, getting after the quarterback. I want to see some of those secondary moves. I want to see some counters, um, but this is a dude who I think you know is a bad man when he's coming off the edge there, a guy that can wreak havoc in opposing backfields. So then we move on to round number three, and again, that receiver position. And so Dallas sitting there at number 88 overall, 
And when you talk about Dallas and that receiver spot, um, you know, we know that ultimately CeeDee Lamb is going to be elevated, likely going to be their number one wideout at, at the, with Amari Cooper no longer on the roster. Um, you know, Michael Gallup was re-signed. I thought that was a nice pickup there as well. Uh, they did lose Cedric Wilson. They sign James Washington from Pittsburgh. I, I think this is going to be kind of hopefully a redemption story for him. You know, a guy who I just think didn't really get the reps there um, with the Steelers. And so I think a change of scenery is going to be nice for him. But... I'm looking at Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. Look, they, they lose one Boise State Bronco, and they bring in another uh, with, with Khalil Shakir. And I think Khalil Shakir is this year's Amon Ross St. Brown. And, and here's why. When you talk about Khalil Shakir, you know, he's six foot, 196 pounds, runs a 4.43 at the combine. But when you really look at him and study him, you, know, you talk about route running, body control, hands, and run after catch. Who does that sound like? That sounds just like Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown. He's a little bit faster than him, um, but he has some of that returnability as well. I just think this is going to be a guy that's going to come in there and, and really compete to be that number three receiver. I think at, at the end of the day, he's going to be one of the favorite receivers for Dak Prescott. I would love to see this happen. And uh, I actually moved my mock, around, mock draft around a little bit because this just seemed like too perfect of a fit for both the receiver and and the team and at number 88 overall i think it really adds great value for the cowboys now from the nfc east to the afc east buffalo bills they're sitting there at number 25 overall and look this is a franchise who i think is really ascending sean mcdermott and company have really done uh, some fabulous things there. And this is one of the top teams. You know, it, it exited the playoffs at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs for the second consecutive year. And so, looking at needs, pretty deep roster. Um, and look, you know, how do you really improve upon that? But you know, they they managed to do that with uh, Von Miller coming off the edge, two-time Super Bowl champ uh, Von Miller, and then you know, defensive tackles Daquan Jones, Tim Settle. Uh, to really solidify the interior of that defensive line. I mean, and, and when you think about the D-line just by itself, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous what, what Buffalo is going to be running out there week after week. Um, you know, Because you've got Von Miller that's added to that, that defensive end group that also has Gregory Rousseau, uh, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, uh, and Shaq Lawson. So I think the Bills have done a pretty darn good job replacing Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison up front. But then you're talking about that defensive tackle position, Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, uh, Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips. I really like that they've you know they've addressed that that position. Starlo Tulele, Harrison Phillips are gone. You've been able to bring some guys in there. So that really kind of tempers any need up front, in my opinion. So then what do you do after that? You know, if you're the Buffalo Bills, right? So you bring in a running back like Duke Johnson, a veteran there at the running back position. Um, you know, kind of takes the place of Matt Breda. And then that receiver spot, you lost Cole Beasley. Jamison Crowder is a perfect possession receiver that can come in there. Could be a guy there in the slot. Not as fast as Cole Beasley, but I think that's a nice fit. And then you're looking at the guard position as well. Um, you know, th there's there's a need there. And bringing in Roger Saffold from Tennessee, uh, you know, this is a guy who's going to come in and start right away up front. So you've done a lot to really address 
a lot of positions. One position that really hasn't received any attention was the quarterback spot following the, the departure of Levi Wallace. Now, Dane Jackson is going to get the first crack to start opposite Tredavious White uh, with uh, Taron Johnson there in the slot, but I'd expect Buffalo to target a corner with this pick to compete with Jackson for that starting spot. And I'm looking at Andrew Booth out of Clemson, six foot 194. The junior is athletic, good size, can play both press man and zone. Uh, was inserted into that starting lineup a season ago. And Booth, look, you know, he responded with five interceptions, nine pass breakups, uh, can get physical with his man at the line of scrimmage, but struggles at, you know, with some of the top route runners. So I think his home really at the next level is going to be in off coverage where he can take advantage of his ability to track the football, that burst to close. And once he arrives at the ball, he, his ball skills actually remember that of a, of a wide receiver as he's looking to attack that football in the air. He's physical, willing coming downhill and run support, which I think is also a must for the Bills. And look, Booth, I know he wasn't able to participate at the Combine after undergoing a sports hernia surgery, but I don't think that's going to affect his draft stock because if you watch the film, it shows an instinctive ball hawk who's worthy of a first-round pick. Now, if they don't decide to go with the corner, you could go running back. I think Brees Hall, the number one running back, you, know, you end up bringing him in and ultimately allow him to pair with uh, Devin Singletary. You've got Zach Moss on the roster as well. Uh, and then with Duke Johnson, you really solidify that running game. But I think you got to get that corner that's going to be able to start opposite Tredavious White. And I think Andrew Booth would absolutely be that guy for Buffalo. So then you move on to day two. And uh, you know Buffalo's first pick is sitting there at number 57 overall. This is where I think they can get a receiver. I mentioned that Jamison Crowder was brought in, but you need that slot guy with speed and, and, and shiftiness. And I think you get that in Calvin Austin out of Memphis, 5'8", a buck 70. Look, this guy may be small in stature, but just like Cole Beasley, this is a dude who is a playmaker. Back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons, two pump returns for touchdown. Uh, you know, he's very sudden. He wins at the line of scrimmage. Uh, does need to work on his route running a little bit. I think that's where, you know, you're, you're going to see some some struggles at times, but ran a 4-3-2-40 at the Combine, 39-inch vertical leap. I think you put him in there, and he's a guy who I think fills in right away at, that, uh, at the slot because when you're talking about that receiver spot, you've got Stephon Diggs, you've got Gabriel Davis now, Isaiah McKenzie was re-signed. Uh, so I, I think really filling that need, Calvin Austin, makes a ton of sense for the Bills there in round number two. And then in round three, look, I mentioned that running back position, and I think this is where they can get one. At number 89, you get James Cook out of Georgia. 5'11", 199 pounds. Reminds you a lot of Dalvin Cook with just the way that he plays. This is a guy who has tremendous vision. Um, I, I like his ability to he can run between the tackles, but he really is going to make a lot of his money on the outside. A tremendous receiver as well in the receiving game. And I think that's one of the things that the Bills are going to need. They're going to need a guy who's going to be versatile for them, a guy that can catch passes out of the backfield to spell uh, you know, Devin Singletary. Duke Johnson's there on the roster as well, but I think this is the guy who I, who I think can ultimately earn a lot of playing time there in the Bills system. And so you offer up some of that versatility. James Cook's a guy is not going to get out of the third round of the draft. I think this is good value for the Bills, and that really solidifies three positions of need going into the offseason. So you look at Tennessee, the Titans, right? They're sitting there at number 26 overall, and I think there's some decisions to make. You know, this was a team that was among the top throughout the 2021 season, ultimately finished uh, with the AFC's top seed heading into the playoffs. Much of that success was due to the dominant performance by Derrick Henry, 
937 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground through eight games before suffering a Jones fracture in his right foot against the Colts. Tennessee ultimately finished the season winning six of its final nine games with Ryan Tannehill under center. And I think Tannehill did a good job managing those games. He completed 68.7% of his passes, but he just averaged 192 passing yards per game through 11 touchdowns and 7 interceptions during that time. But it was that playoff performance against Cincinnati in the divisional playoff that really sealed his fate as the, the Titans quarterback. Now, I think his game was exposed. He struggled mightily against that Bengals defense, throwing for just 220 yards and a touchdown to 3 interceptions that really proved costly. And so I, I think when you look at the draft, you know, I, I think you know, securing an inside linebacker does make some sense. You've got Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans uh, you know, that aren't on the roster. You're considering possibly seeing Zach Cunningham as a cap casualty. Adding N'Kobe Dean to pair with David Long Jr. makes a lot of sense here. But I think the Titans, they're really a quarterback away from making a serious run at the AFC Championship. And according to SpotTrack.com, Ryan Tannehill's $29 million base this season is fully guaranteed with 38.6 million in cap hit and then also has 27 million on the books with 36.6 million cap hit in 2023 though none of that is actually guaranteed and if he's released after june 1st 2023 he would carry just a an 8.6 million dollar dead cap figure so adding a quarterback through the draft who could sit behind Tannehill this year before potentially taking over the following year i think might be the way to go for the titans and I think one quarterback who's continued to move up draft boards has been Desmond Ritter, four-year starter there at Cincinnati, all-time leading passer, the guy who led the Bearcats to improve each and every season, ultimately led them to that CFP berth, the first team uh, from a group of five conference to actually make it to the you know, college football playoff. And look, this is a guy, he's got tremendous arm strength. I think there's no question about that. When you watch him, the ball just jumps off of his hand. Um, you know, I, I think he can push the ball down the field when you need him to. He struggles at time with some of his accuracy. You see the footwork that doesn't always make, uh, doesn't always fit in there. Uh, but look, 65% of his passes were completed, over 3,300 yards, 30 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. You know, this is a guy. He's a leader. You know, he's he's grown up. This is a guy who ha he's a family man. And look, he's a great athlete as well. Uh, you know, this is a guy who you know. Need I remind you, he ran a 4-5-140 at the Combine. This is a guy who can absolutely, uh, you know, and what's funny is you watch him run, and he, he reminds you a lot of Marcus Mariota with the way that he runs because he doesn't look like he's running all that fast, but with those long strides, he's eating up yards very, very quickly. Uh, you know, over 2,100 yards on the ground in his career and 28 touchdowns. You know, this is a guy who just continues to improve uh, in all facets of his game. I think he's doing a better job going through his progressions. I think he does a better job of throwing his receivers open, the ball placement and anticipation. But look, it's really about the traits, right? This is a guy, you know, some of the intangibles. He's a very smart guy, but then you have those traits. You have a big quarterback, strong arm, very athletic, and there are some pieces there that you can mold. An intelligent kid, a guy who's a proven leader, he and Luke Fickle really kind of helped mold that Cincinnati Bearcat team into a legitimate playoff contender. So I think it makes a lot of sense for Tennessee. And so if Tennessee ends up going after a quarterback, then ultimately you have to figure that on day, th day two, uh, because they did trade away their, their second round pick 
Um, ultimately gave that up to Atlanta, number 58 overall. So day two, round number three is when you're actually going to see them make their first pick. And at number 90 overall, I've got them taking Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma. Six foot, 226 pounds. And Asamoah flies around to the football. That's one of the things that you absolutely see. You know, No waste of movement with this guy's recognition. And then boom. He's hitting the hole, and he's bringing a guy down um, for, for a loss. But I, I think really on that stage, you know, running a 4-5-6-40, uh, you know, he was a high school running back, um, you know, 500-pound squat to go along with that 36-and-a-half-inch vertical leap. So you know this dude has some lower body explosiveness. Uh, but you watch him, he understands – uh, you know some of those run plays, especially if you're going to the perimeter. You know being able to slip blocks, get inside, and and take down the ball carrier. I love that sideline to sideline ability. Very athletic. You can plug him in there to one of those inside linebacker positions and feel very good about it. So you get your quarterback in round one. You get an inside linebacker in round three, and I think the Tennessee Titans really solidify a couple of those units. You know I, I think one of the things that you that could potentially present a problem there with with my my mock draft is the fact that they need another receiver right you've got aj brown and you made the trade for robert woods after Allen robinson was signed by the rams you have nick westbrook but then there are a lot of question marks after that right so i think tennessee this could potentially be where you see Jahan dotson come off the board at number 26, I could absolutely see that. Possibly even Jamison Williams if there are concerns about the knee, but I think those have really been put to bed. But Jahan Dotson, you know, that gives you another vertical threat to pair with Brown and Woods. Makes a lot of sense um, if they don't go quarterback. So moving on from Tennessee, we get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think really when you talk about Tampa Bay, you talk about this offseason, it's all about Tom Brady, right? TB12 is back in Tampa once again. You know, and now you know Bruce Arians has moved into a front office role and you've got Todd Bowles taking over the head coaching spot. But then you've got Byron Leftwich still there as your offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, things have changed, but a lot is still staying the same. And when you get TB12 in there, you know, a lot of things really start falling into place, um, you know, which was crazy. You know, they were able to, to get Chris Godwin signed. Um, you know, Aaron Stinney and Ryan Jensen up front also re-signed. And then you've got Carlton Davis, the cornerback, re-signed as well. So, obviously the Tom Brady effect, it always ends up happening. What's going to end up happening with Gronk? You know, I think there's a good chance that we're going to be seeing Rob Gronkowski in a Tampa Bay Buccaneer uniform as well. Uh, you know, but really the big question mark, you know, and there there are a few, is, is who's going to be coming back? Uh, you know, we already saw uh, Ali Marpet up front decide to retire. Even when after Tom Brady came back, he said, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. Alex Kappa, the other guard, he left in free agency as well. O.J. Howard at tight end. Ronald Jones at running back. Uh, Jordan Whitehead at safety. So they did end up mitigating some of that by bringing in Logan Ryan, the team with uh, Antoine Winfield there at safety. He's also a corner, but I think ultimately safety might be where uh, Logan Ryan is going to be best utilized there for the Bucks. Shaq Mason, look, he's a guy from from Bill Belichick's school. Uh, he brought it was brought in for a fifth round pick, and ultimately is going to man one of those guard spots. Russell Gage ultimately going to be that number three wide out there with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Uh, Gage. Shot Perriman, Tyler Johnson, Cyril Grayson. You've got some excellent wide receivers there. You know, tight end right now, you just have Cameron Brait. 
you know, there, there are going to be some question marks there. You've got Ndamukong Sue, Steve McClendon, also free agents there at the defensive end spot. And I, I think you could use some pass rush help as well because Jason Pierre-Paul is a free agent, uh, though you did draft Joe Tryon in round one a season ago, and you compare him with Shaq Barrett, so not necessarily as much of a concern there. So with Tampa sitting there at number 27 overall, uh, you know I, I think you could go defensive end, depending on what happens with Ndamukong Sue. I, I think Devontae Wyatt would be your guy if he's there. But I don't envision him being there. So then I think the next move, um, could it be a running back to team with Leonard Fournette? You bring in Bright, uh, Brees Hall, a guy who I think uh, could be a dynamic runner. You know, he's, he's also excellent in the passing game. We've seen some of those one-handed catches. Um, clearly uh, uh, in a class all by himself when you look at this this running back class. 5'11", 217 pounds, ran a 4'3", 40 at the combine along with a 40-inch vertical leap. The start and stop in the hole, the vision, the cutback ability, and then he has that home run speed to take the top off of the defense as well. I think Brees Hall could very well be the pick here because you get that running back help there. But, and this is a big but, you've got Tom Brady under center and you have a need at one of your offensive line spots. So ultimately, you only filled one of those holes. I think Aaron Sinney's more of a, a depth piece. I don't see him being a starter. You lost both Ali Marpet and Alex Kappa this offseason. You bring in Shaq Mason. I think this pick should be used on a guard and I'm looking at Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M. Look, 6'4", 323 pounds. You know, we talk about the combine and we saw that Zion Johnson really exploded as an athlete there. Um, and what I saw with Kenyon Green, um, he's the more physical of the two in terms of, of versatile guards, right? So when you talk about Kenyon Green, ran a 5'2", 440 at the combine. Um, you know, but surprisingly, you know, he had really good length 34 and 1 8 inch arms which is actually an eighth of an inch longer than Iki Aquanu, who's being talked about as a potential number one overall selection for the tackle spot I, I think ultimately when you look at green though it was that lower body that trunk this is a guy who's going to be able to anchor um, and you also saw the the footwork there at the tackle position so I think he offers some of that agility laterally you know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be running a 40 by any means. But I love that lower body because you know it allows him to be that, that rogue grader and be that violent, dominant mauler that we know him to be. I think that you get Green in here. And this is a guy, too, look, he can play tackle. So if Tristan Wirfs has, you know, runs into any injury issues or if Donovan Smith is not consistent, could he kick outside? Absolutely. Play Kenny, uh, Stinney at guard, and you have that versatility there. But I think ultimately his home is going to be at guard. You get a guy who's going to be very physical in that running game and is going to absolutely protect Tom Brady in the passing game. I think this is a guy who can end up being a 10-year guard uh, you know, with Pro Bowl selections as well. Um, a, a guy, again, physical in the ground game, light on his feet in the passing game. I like this pick for Tampa, and it allows them to, on, on day two, address some other positions. And so the first position that I'm looking at is that defensive end spot. And now I mentioned possibly taking a running back, but I'm also looking at and I'm worried about that depth up front. And Dominican Sue could very well come back. Wants to play with Tom Brady, absolutely. But if not, you're looking at DeMarvin Leal out of Texas A&M. 6'4", 283 pounds. And this is a guy who 
Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about him being a guy who's going to end up being uh, a three technique in a 43 defense. Um, I ultimately believe that this is a guy who can absolutely be a um, a five technique in a 34 defense. You know, and you put him into Todd Bowles. I think this is an offense or a defense where he could absolutely excel. Showed off some ability to get after the passer. Eight and a half sacks to go along with 12 and a half tackles for loss. 58 total tackles. I think this is a guy who, this is right value for him. We were talking about him as a potential first rounder uh, during the beginning of the draft cycle, and, and I think that's not really the spot for him. You know, I think there's some boomer bust potential with this guy, but you put him into Todd Bowles' offense, and I think this is going to allow him to really uh, succeed. You know, a guy that can get after the quarterback, a guy that can get penetration in, into the backfield. I think this is going to be the right selection there for Tampa. Uh, they're at the end of round number two. And then you move on to round number three, Tampa. They're at 91. Could they go running back? Sure. I think they could go running back here, but I've got them actually taking the Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. 6'4", 245 pounds. They get another tight end. Look, you lose O.J. Howard. We don't know what the long-term, you know, what's going to happen with uh, Rob Gronkowski, right? You know, what's Gronk going to do? It's really kind of on a year-by-year basis, especially when you've got Tom Brady uh, coming you know, making that decision really every year with regard to whether or not he's going to decide to stay. With Isaiah Likely, you've got a guy 59 catches, 912 yards, it's 15.5 yards per reception and 12 touchdowns. This is a dude who busted off a 99-yard reception against Arkansas State. This was the first score of the game uh, and showed off that vertical speed, that that ability to get down the field in a hurry in that game eight catches 232 yards and four count them four touchdowns that's really when he jumped on everybody's radar and just really his stock has kind of taken off ever since but this was a guy that i was watching really uh, a season prior there in 2020 this was a dude who was battling a high ankle sprain and still somehow found a way to beat guys deep and look coastal carolina you know, grayson mccall was trying to get him the football early on in games before that ankle started to wear down and look he still had 30 catches for 601 yards that's 20 yards per reception and another five touchdowns I think this is a guy that can end up giving you that vertical speed up the seam that you get a lot of times from Rob Gronkowski. And, and even if Gronkowski comes back, I think you have some of that additional versatility there that you would have had with O.J. Howard. Now you have that in Isaiah Likely. And if Rob Gronkowski ultimately calls it a career, then you still have a guy who can be a weapon for whoever's going to be playing quarterback once Tom Brady does, in fact, retire. So then I mentioned that running back position, and so I'm still working on that fourth round that I'm going to hopefully release on readyforthedraft.com here coming up. But I'm looking at 133 overall, and I'm looking at Rashad White out of Arizona State. Six foot, 214 pounds. I think this is going to be a selection of a running back who... Uh, is going to be versatile. I think this is going to be a guy who's got to catch the football out of the backfield a little bit as well. And Rashad White can absolutely do that. Look, you know, tremendous year here in 2021. Um, 182 carries, hit that thousand-yard mark on the dot. 15 touchdowns, but 43 receptions as well. Shows really soft hands. This is a guy who's kind of a one-cut-and-go type of dude, but a guy that has a lot of speed can get downhill in a hurry. Uh, and what I like about Rashad White, look, he ran that 4.4840 at the combine, 38-inch vertical leap, very strong as well. 500-pound squat, 300-pound clean, so explosiveness, explosiveness, explosiveness. But 
He has the versatility to be able to make plays with his hands uh, in the receiving game coming out of the backfield. Um, so I, I think you get you can still get a guy who's going to be versatile enough to kind of play off of uh, Leonard Fournette because, look, he's going to have to share the backfield. And you have to be okay with that. And Rashad White brings something different to the table than what you have with Leonard Fournette. So I think that makes a lot of sense. You can wait until day three to get a running back who can absolutely make an impact for you at the next level. Rashad White is one of my favorite players in the draft. So I think this will be a great pick for Tampa Bay as their first pick on day three. So now we have Kansas City back-to-back picks. Why do they have back-to-back picks? Well, I think you know the news has gotten out. They, they traded Tyreek Hill to Miami. They collected a, a bevy of picks from them. One of being one of those being the, the 29th overall pick that Miami got from San Francisco. And uh, I think this pick is going to have to be used on a receiver to replace Tyreek Hill. And I'm looking at Jahan Dotson, 5'11", 178 pounds. Um, you know, this makes a, a ton of sense to me. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They were signed in free agency to team with Nicole Hardman and Travis Kelsey. But I think with Dotson in there, this is going to be a guy that is going to give Mahomes another vertical threat. I, I love the hands from Jahan Dotson. This is a guy, he's not very big, and so I think he can get rerouted. But what I love with him is the ability to compete for the football, the body control. You know, this is a guy, look, you know, again, only... 5'11", but a 36-inch vertical leap runs a 4'4", 3'40", and I think what you saw throughout the season and at the combine is this dude has some hands. He, you know, that ball hits him in the hands and is not going anywhere. And so I think this would be a great pick there for Kansas City at the end of round one, but then using their, their number 30th pick, I'm looking at the defensive line, and I think the Chiefs have one of their premier D linemen in Chris Jones. Um, but they're really lacking a, a spark defensively. And then they bring in Melvin Ingram. He was acquired via trade with Pittsburgh. And at, that was at the, t- the trade deadline. You add him, not only made a positive impact on Jones, Jaron Reed, and Frank Clark, but that motor and relentlessness coming off the edge brought life to that pass rush. Now with Reed gone, Ingram a free agent, adding a pass rusher to the mix who can provide that extra juice is a must. How about Boye Mafe out of Minnesota? 6'4", 261 uh, pounds. And, and this is a guy, look, he's still raw as an edge rusher, but his explosiveness, undeniable. Finished 2021 with seven sacks uh, for the Golden Gophers. Then we, we saw that get off. The bend in the closing burst at the Senior Bowl against top offensive tackles from there. Explosiveness was further on display at the Combine. 4'5", 340, 38-inch vertical leap at 6'4", and 261 pounds. Dude is so powerful, um, has a really effective chop on the outside hand of that offensive tackle. And watch out for that jab step as he's looking to cross you over like he's on the basketball court. And once he's coming downhill, he's so difficult to stop. Uh, you know, I think Mafe covers a lot of ground laterally against the run, uh, taking away some of those cutback lanes to the inside. You know, I think he's still dialing in those instincts as you see the hands are sometimes a bit off. You'll see some of those false steps in his rush. Struggles at times to locate the football. But the traits are absolutely there. He's a dynamic edge rusher. Just give him time with an NFL D-line coach. I think he can easily develop into one of the better rushers from this draft. I think KC, look, you get a receiver, you get a defensive end. Makes a lot of sense. KC's got more picks, so we move on to day two. And uh, you know, obviously that number 50 overall pick they get from Miami. And I think the Chiefs... 
they, look, Tyron Matthews is not going to be there. So I, I think you have to look at, at potentially getting another safety. And I know that they did bring in uh, Justin Reed to play with Juan Thornhill. And I think that's a great group. But I think you need to have one more guy. Tyron Matthew, Daniel Sorensen, Armani Watts. None of those guys are going to be there. And I'm looking at Lewis Seen. This is a guy who I think is one of the better safeties in this year's draft. And I think if Casey is able to get him towards the end of round number two, that would be, you know, it would kind of be shocking, to be honest with you. This is a guy who plays with a ton of range, a guy who, who looks to try to be physical, um, although I think he struggles at times with that. But uh, tremendous ball skills, 14 pass breakups to go along with a couple of picks in his career. Um, you know, 73 tackles this past season. A, a lot of range. There's a lot to like with with Lewis Seen. I think this will be a nice pick and a nice fit there with KC. But look, KC's not done in round number two because you're looking at number 62 overall. And I mentioned that at D-line, just needing to get things shored up a little bit. And, uh, you know, they, they already went with a defensive end. I think they end up going with a tackle as well. And I was trying to figure out exactly which tackle made the most sense here. And uh, I'm ultimately deciding to go with the guy who could very well end up being a, a five technique at the next level. But I'm looking at... at what Chris Jones brings to the table, and I'd love to see Logan Hall paired up with him at some point. And what you got with with Logan Hall, look, this dude uh, is 6'6", 283 pounds, ran a 4.8840. You know, this is a dude who is is tremendously strong. Added 35 pounds in the last three years. 375 pound bench, 365 pound clean. Um, you know, really a good athlete. Um, you know, I think some people say that he is a, a player without a position. Some people were expecting him to potentially come off the board in round one. Um, I think that this guy, because of his versatility, he's going to fit in well there at Kansas City. Um, look, 47 tackles this past season, 13 tackles for loss, six sacks. You put him there up front and you add him to that group. You know, Chris Jones needs help up front, and I think Logan Hall could absolutely be a guy that can provide that for him. Moving on to round number three, and again, two picks for KC. So look, if you've got six picks in the first three rounds, I could absolutely see Andy Reid and company packaging some picks and moving up in the draft, especially to target a receiver. You know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, if you don't think you can get Jahan Dotson there at number 29 overall, I could absolutely see KC moving up to get Jamison Williams potentially, um, or even target Jahan Dotson as well. Um, it could absolutely happen, but as it stands, we don't have any of those trades or anything like that in play, so we're going to go with, with the picks that we have and play the cards uh, as they fall to this point. At number 94 overall, I think they're going to get another corner. I'm looking at Alante Taylor out of Tennessee, six foot 199, some versatility to play both uh, corner and safety physical corner and a guy who actually possesses you know more speed than I was actually expecting. He showed up at the combine and ended up running uh, a 4-3-6. So I, I think that's one of the things that's going to be telling uh, the, the Tennessee volunteer, a guy who was a veteran there in the in the secondary for the Vols, uh, has experience against SEC competition, a guy with four interceptions, 15 pass breakups, a guy looked 60 tackles this past season, so a guy that's not afraid to mix it up. Um, against the run as well mentioned that physicality so when KC when you're talking about that cornerback position look you've got Legereus Sneed um, you, you've got Rashad Fenton there as your starters but then after that 
you have to wonder what's going to happen with, with DeAndre Baker. Uh, you know, there are really some question marks after that. So I think bringing in Elante Taylor, you know, that just addresses you know, some of that depth there at the position. And then one of the compensatory picks there at 103 overall, I'm looking, let's address that running back position, shall we? Um, you know, I, I'm looking at Damian Pierce there out of Florida, 5'10", uh, 218 pounds. When you're looking at that running back position, you've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You brought in Ronald Jones to be your primary backup. And with Jarek McKinnon and Darrell Williams, free agents, I, I think this is a, a group that really is more of a running back by committee. You're going to want to add another running back to the fold. I think that makes a lot of sense if you are KC. And I think when you're looking at Damian Pierce, this is a guy who's just a bowling ball. Um, you know, He's a muscle-bound dude who can run really well. Um, you know, he's uh, 5'10", 218, like I mentioned, uh, ran a 4'5", 940, which isn't all that fast, you know, all things considered, but he's not going to be a guy, his game isn't on the outside. You know, I think he's sudden laterally, you see that, you see the vision and the cutback ability, I think he's a little bit quicker than he is fast, but, you know, there is some lower body explosiveness, ran a, uh, you know, had a 37-inch vertical leap, um, you know, 705-pound squat, 390-pound uh, bench press as well, so this is a dude who, is, who can be very physical. Uh, at the point of attack, he'll look to try to run you over. That leg strength is something that you're just going to continue to see that leg drive to finish out runs. So when you're talking about a running back with physicality, he has a skill set that Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Ronald Jones won't bring to the table. I really like this pick for Kansas City there at the end of round number three. So then that moves on to Cincinnati. And Cincinnati sitting there at number 31 overall. And uh, look, you know, the, the Cinderella season, uh, you know, we saw Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase really emerge as the league's uh, one of their best combos. And, and I think the defense proved to be quite opportunistic as well, right? So they, they come into this offseason knowing that they have to protect Joe Burrow uh, if they want to return to the Super Bowl. And so they addressed the off offensive line in the offseason already. Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, both likely to play guard, and then Lyle Collins, who was signed after he was released by Dallas. And so when you look at that offensive line, you've got Jonah Williams, obviously a left tackle. I worry about whether or not uh, Jackson Carmen's going to hold up. And so when I look at Ted Karras, yes, he can play the pivot, but I think ultimately you're going to have him play at left guard. I don't think that Jackson Carmen is going to, uh, you know, is going to fit in as a starter, at least not right now. Um, so ultimately, what I'm looking at here is there's a chance that Tyler Linderbaum could fall to number 31 overall. He's 6'2", 296. So you're talking about a center who's who doesn't even weigh 300 pounds, right? Um, and then the the lack of length that's another concern as well. So when you're talking about 31 and an eighth inch arms, that shorter arm length, teams may be concerned with that. You know, if you're a, a team that is going to run a lot of gap heavy things and, and stuff, this this may not be your your guy. But if you're a team that's more of a move based offense, more of that zone blocking scheme, uh, then this could absolutely be a guy that can come onto your team, be a day one starter, and be a perennial pro, pro bowler. It really just kind of depends on that fit. And what you're looking for. Now, Linderbaum, look, former champion wrestler, brings his understanding of leverage and core strength to the center position, does a tremendous job maintaining control to keep that hole open, 
does a tremendous job, always seeming to stay on top of his block. Hands are so quick when he fires them to the inside, wins easily after the snap, ridiculously accurate with that punch to the chest plate. Plus, those hands and feet are always working in unison to stay, sustain that block. You know, I think he's best when he's on the move. He shows that fluidity to climb to that second level, locates his target, breaks down in space to pick off his man on the move. His understanding of angles is also top-notch. You know, obviously, the lack of size and length you know, makes him difficult. You know, makes it difficult for him to finish some of his blocks. But I think this is a guy, look, the Remington Trophy winner, if Cincinnati gets him, then that really solidifies that front. When you think about it, you've got Jordan, uh, Jonah Williams and Lyle Collins at the tackle spots. You've got Ted Karras and Alex Kappa there at the guards. You bring in Tyler Linderbaum, that's really the one piece that you're kind of missing there. I think that makes a lot of sense. If Cincinnati does not go with that offensive line, if Linderbaum's not on the board, then I, I think you need to address that cornerback position, right? You know, what, what we saw there in the Super Bowl was Matthew Stafford having a field day with Odell Beckham Jr. early and then Cooper Cup down the stretch. And we know Chidobi Awuzie is likely quarterback one there. But while you know Eli Apple was brought back, I think he needs to be pushed on the outside. And I'm looking at Kair Elam. I think he's one of the, the forgotten cornerbacks in this year's draft class. But you know, a guy with good length, athleticism, and excellent ball skills. This could be where Kair Elam comes off the board if Cincy doesn't address the offensive line. So then after that, I think this is where Cincinnati, they, they have a couple of different directions that they go they could go. And ultimately, I'm looking at that, that defensive front. And I think that's another area where they were exposed at times. And uh, with Cincinnati, look, they don't have Larry Ogunjobi. No, Ogunjobi is gone in, in free agency. So when you look at that group, I think you need to bring in another defensive tackle. And I'm looking at Perrion Winfrey there out of Oklahoma. And this is a guy who has explosiveness coming off the football, a guy who really works hard getting after the quarterback. We didn't see the production uh, sustained. You know, there were some consistency issues with this game, but really people couldn't figure out what was going on. I think, you know, Perrion was saying that he was really playing out of position because once he got to the senior bowl, the dude was unblockable and was the senior bowl MVP. So you're looking at it going, wait a minute, some things just don't aren't adding up. And I think, you know, what Perrion was trying to say was, look, I was playing out of position most of my time there at uh, OU under defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. And so I think this is a guy who can end up being uh, a guy. Look, Cincinnati had uh, Geno Atkins, who was a, a three technique and a guy that was shooting gaps and getting into the backfield and making plays. And I think Winfrey could be that type of guy. 11 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, but it's that explosiveness and that get off to be able to shoot those gaps and get penetration early that I think is going to win over there for, for Perrion Winfrey coming off the board at the end of round number two. So then Cincinnati, after that, they've got a you know a pick in round number three. I mentioned that they need a corner. They're going to go with a bigger corner, I think. And you're looking at Jalen Watson there out of Washington State, 6'2", a buck 97. This is a guy who I think is instinctive. You know, he's versatile you know, from a scheme standpoint. So I think he'd be a nice fit there for Cincinnati in their secondary. Which now takes us to the eight teams that don't have a pick in round number one. The first one's going to be Chicago. And I, I think with Chicago, when you're looking at losing... Allen Robinson, you're going to need to address that wide receiver position, right? So if I'm Chicago, I've got, you know, I brought in Brian, Byron Pringle, I brought in Equinemia St. Brown, but neither of those guys is going to be a number one. We know that for sure, right? So I'm looking at George Pickens 
out of Georgia. I think this is a great pick. I think this is a match made in heaven for Justin Fields. When you look at George Pickens, this is a guy, one of the best uh, receivers in this draft class, in my opinion. 6'3", 195, ran a 4'4", 740, battled injuries, had that ACL tear, and ultimately battled his way back to get back out onto the football field. He has size, he has length. He's a guy that's going to be able to be a downfield threat, but also work uh, the red zone. I think this is a great pick for Chicago in round number two. But look, Chicago's not done in round two. I think they're going to also go after a corner at number 48 overall on the pick that they got from from the, the LA Chargers. And when you look at the Bears and you're talking about that cornerback position uh, you know they've got Jalen Johnson but uh, you know after that Kendall Vildor and, and Duke Shelley um, you know Artie Burns is gone I, I think you need to add some depth to that position I think Thomas Graham when he got time looked okay um, but I think you get Roger McCreary out of Auburn 5'11 190 pounds there's some concern over the lack of arm length there you know and, and he's going to have to battle some of the bigger receivers I think that's why his draft stock may fall and if that happens and he falls to number 48 I think the Bears could get a really good player there on the outside would make a lot of sense there uh, at that quarterback position and then finally look Chicago again on the interior of that line you're talking about Akeem Hicks a free agent there at the defensive tackle spot I think you need to ultimately address that position and get a guy in there that could potentially end up taking his spot if they're not able to re-sign Hicks. I mean, I think, I think that's really a concern. I'm looking at Fedarian Mathis out of Alabama, 6'4", 310 pounds. You put the game film on, and 48 seems to flash left and right there for um, Alabama. And look, you know, this is a guy who I don't think has a ton of miles on him. Um, Alabama likes to rotate their front, so this isn't a guy who's, you know, been taking such a pounding up front, but definitely a veteran there uh, on that line. Look, 53 tackles, 10 and a half for loss, and nine sacks from that defensive tackle position. I think this is another match made in heaven. So look, if you could go Pickens, McCreary, and Mathis for Chicago, man, that's a home run in my book. On to Indianapolis and the Colts without a first-round pick. I think when you look at day two, what what is Indy going to do? I think they need to target that wide receiver position, right? Um, you know, with with the Colts, what have they done in free agency? Well, they, they really haven't addressed that wide receiver spot. You've got T.Y. Uh, T. Hilton, Zach Pascal, both free agents. You do have Paris Campbell coming back. Michael Pittman Jr. has proven to be your number one. But I think ultimately, you know, you got to get Matt Ryan, a guy who's going to uh, be another vertical weapon, another guy in that passing game. And so when I'm looking at Indy at number 42 overall, Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, 5'10", 195 pounds. This is a dude who is very sudden. You love the route running ability, a guy that can get vertical as well. He shows up at the combine um, and 4'4", 140. Uh, 34.5-inch vertical leap. Uh, route running ability is something that I think jumped off the film when you watched him uh, during the season, and then that just carried over to the Senior Bowl. So I think Indy, you pair Sky Moore up with Michael Pittman Jr., gives Matt Ryan some options there in the passing game. And then Indy, look, you know, Jack Doyle decided to call it a career, so you need to get another tight end to team with Mo Ali Cox, right? I think that's something that Indy's going to have to do at some point, and uh, really the sweet spot for that tight end's position is really round number three, and they, they get that that 73rd overall pick from Washington. 
Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State, 6'5", 250, a guy that you know, I think is more, more of the forgotten man in this, this tight end class. People aren't really talking about him a whole lot. What I really like about Jeremy Ruckert is his ability to, I think he's a decent blocker, but he really has tremendous hands in the passing game. And I think that's something that's going to be on display more and more. Look, just 26 catches on the year, 309 yards and three touchdowns. But if you watched him coming out of high school into college, that was one of the things, that was his calling card, were his hands. And I don't think he was utilized nearly enough in the passing game. I think he could end up being a better pro than he was in in college. So I, I think those would be a nice picks there, um, really addressing um, some skill positions, getting Matt Ryan some additional weapons in the passing game. Moving on to Cleveland. Cleveland without a first-round pick, obviously traded away to Houston in uh, the Deshaun Watson deal. And so on day two, Cleveland sitting there at number 44 overall, I think they have to address the defensive line. I think there's no question about that. Uh, when you look at them up front, uh, they brought in Taven Bryan, uh, but really, you know, Malik Jackson not there. You've got uh, Malik McDowell, Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai. You know, guys that you know really haven't moved the needle to this point. So I'm looking at a, a guy who is a physical freak, a guy who could potentially be a first-round pick, and that's Travis Jones out of Connecticut. 6'4", 325. Look, a guy that big should not be able to run a 4'9", 240, but look, this guy did that. Um, <clears throat> incredibly strong, uh, you know, repped out 225, 32 times. Um, you know, this guy, you know, you just look at what this guy's able to do. 615 pounds squat, hang cleans 405, and I mentioned those 32 reps, 82 and a half inch wingspan. So, you know, the quickness off the ball is something that's absolutely on display. This dude is incredibly powerful, uh, but he's also very nimble for a guy his size. And so he's not just going to be a one-trick pony with a guy that's just taking up space. Absolutely not with him. You know, seven and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks this past season. Look, this dude had eight and a half sacks in his career, 19 going for loss as well. Um, so, man, I, I really like Travis Jones. I think this would be a great fit for Cleveland. And then I think with Cleveland's two third-round selections, um, number 78 overall, you need to target another receiver. I think you absolutely do. Even though you brought in uh, Amari Cooper, hey, that's a, a great start. But without Jarvis Landry, without Rashard Higgins, you've got Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz. I think Wondell Robinson would be a nice pick here. 5'8", 178 pounds. This dude is incredibly strong. I think he repped out 225, I think 21 times, which is insane for a receiver. Um, but very sudden um, as a playmaker. Ran a 4'4", 440 at the Combine. A guy who you know started his career at Nebraska, moved on to Kentucky. Uh, very versatile. You can get the ball to him in a number of different ways. Um, I've heard some people you know talk about him as a potential uh, Debo Samuel type of guy. I don't think he's quite that. But look, you know, there's un no denying that he was. Uh, you know, the, the, the guy there for Will Levis, you know, the, the quarterback, 104 receptions, over 1,300 yards and seven touchdowns, very explosive. I think this would be a nice fit there in the passing game for uh, Deshaun Watson. And then you move on, one more pick there for Cleveland in round number three, and uh, that's going to be falling to number 99 overall. I think you need to get, get another pass rusher. You need to get an, uh, a guy there at defensive end. And when you're talking about Cleveland, at defensive end, Jadavion Clowney, Takaris McKinley, both not on the roster. You bring in Chase Winovich, but that's not going to be the only guy that you're going to bring in to team with Miles Garrett. I think ultimately, 
um, you know, what makes a lot of sense. You bring in a guy like Josh Pascal. Josh Pascal is so underrated. This is a dude who just seems to live in opposing backfields. And he's not the most explosive pass rusher. You know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to put in some of those eye-popping stats. You know, just 13 sacks in, in five seasons there at Kentucky. But 35 and a half tackles for loss, including 15 this past season. This is a dude who's going to win uh, at the line of scrimmage. A guy who has incredible awareness, reads the play, and is able to stack and check, get off blocks, get into the backfield, and make a play behind the line of scrimmage. So I, I think Josh Pascal will be a nice value here in round number three for Cleveland. Now San Francisco, they've got three picks in uh, day two. When you're looking about you know, number 61 overall, I think the 49ers have to get some help with their pass rush. You know, when you look at the 49ers up front, you know, obviously you've got Nick Bosa, uh, you've got D Ford, um, Samson Ebukam is, is one of those guys who could be potentially a, a playmaker there, but you've got Arden Key and Jordan Willis who are no longer on the roster. So I think you can get a guy like Amari Barno uh, out of Virginia Tech, a very explosive, um, just athletic freak of nature you know a guy his size should not be able to run as fast as he does uh, shows up at the combine 65 246 and runs a 43640 and a 37 inch vertical leap I mean absolutely ridiculous uh, this is a dude who in, in his career there for Virginia Tech in just two seasons uh, 21 and a half tackles for loss 10 sacks very explosive like I said I think this would be good value for San Francisco there at the end of the second round and then in the third round, I think they have to address the offensive line. And I, I'm, I'm looking at number 93 overall. I think they can go Zach Tom out of Wake Forest, 6'4", 304. He played tackle for the Demon Deacons. I think ultimately he'll move inside to the center position. And, and if I'm looking at, at San Francisco, uh, you've got Alex Mack right now. But you know he's, he's aging. We don't know how much longer he's got left in the tank. So I think what you've got is, is Tom can come in fill in in a pinch at tackle, but then ultimately learn the position behind Alex Mack and ultimately take over for him. And then at that guard spot, you've got to address the inside, especially you've lost uh, Lakin Tomlinson. So at number 105 overall, the last pick in round number three, I'm looking at Ed Ingram out of LSU. 6'3", 307. This dude blows people up. You watch him pull and he just lights guys up. It, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but Ed Ingram at the Combine, 50240, really surprising. Had some off-field issues, but this dude is a mauler, really a bowling ball, uh, just coming downhill and, and driving guys off the football and, and burying guys. I think if you want to get a little nasty, Ed Ingram is going to be one of your guys. I think San Francisco at the end of day two makes a lot of sense. Denver. Denver no longer has a first-round pick. Why? Well, they made that deal for Russell Wilson. So Denver sitting there at the end of round number two. They have the Rams pick in the Von Miller trade, uh, number 64 overall. And I think they end up going with a running back. You know, if you're talking about Denver and that, that running back position, obviously you've got Javante Williams who's going to be uh, your number one receipt, or running back coming into the 2022 season. But beyond him, you know, there, there's really a lack of depth. You know, Melvin uh, Gordon has not been re-signed. You've got Mike Boone. You've got Demarie Crockett really after that. So I, I think what you have to do is you have to get a running back. And I'm looking at uh, Kenneth Walker III. Uh, look, this was a dude who I think was going to be a late-round pick uh, if he had stayed there at Wake Forest, 
ultimately takes a chance on, on moving there to uh, to Sparty there, East Lansing, Michigan, um, under Mel Tucker, and boy did he thrive. You know, 263 carries. 1,636 yards, it's 6.2 yards per carry, 18 touchdowns. This dude was six in the Heisman voting and just took took everyone by storm. I mean, I had five touchdowns against Michigan. This is a guy who I think has that nice blend of speed and power. And I think everyone thought that Walker was nearly not nearly going to be as explosive as Brees Hall. You know, at least in terms of, of that all-out speed. You didn't necessarily see that on the football field all the time. What you really saw was the contact balance, his body control, and exceptional vision. But he shows up at the combine, 5'9", 211, runs that 4'3", I think that really turned some heads and said, okay, this, this guy has a lot more speed than people are giving him credit for. So I, I think this would be a great pick for Denver at the end of round number two. You move on to round three, I think, Ultimately, addressing the linebacker position is something that Denver is going to want to do. Um, when you look at that that linebacking core, um, you know, you've got Randy Gregory coming in there with Bradley Chubb. Uh, you know, you've got Malik Reed there as well. Um, you know, on the inside backer spot, you've got Josie Jewell who was re-signed, but Alexander Johnson, Kenny Young, both not on the roster. Baron Browning, Justin Sternod, uh, Michael Kaiser, but again, you're going to be looking for additional playmakers, guys that can end up moving the needle for your defense. Uh, for your defense, and so I'm looking at number 75 overall. How about Chad Muma there out of Wyoming, 6'3", 239 pounds. This is a guy who I think has has tremendous range. Um, Sideline to sideline ability, has the cover skills, the pass rush ability. Look, ran a 4.6340, put up 225, 27 times, 40 inch vertical leap, very athletic, reminds you a lot of, of Logan Wilson in that way. And, uh, you know, a guy who was tremendously productive for the Cowboys. Look, you know, when you talked about the, the defense, um, yeah, the, really the conversation started with number 48. You know, 142 tackles this past season, eight going for loss, had a, a sack and a half, three interceptions on the year as well. So the guy did a little bit of everything. Not quite, you know, if we're talking about production, not quite to the level of Logan Wilson, um, but Muma nonetheless, you know, 266 tackles in his career, 19 going for loss. Um, you know, this is a guy who I think could bring a level of athleticism that's really needed there at that inside linebacker position for the Denver Broncos. And then we move down later on into the draft. Again, another Rams pick that was given to them in that Von Miller deal. And at number 96 overall, they get another pass rusher, Kingsley Enigbare, 6'4", 258. Uh, this was a guy, I, I think it was kind of surprising at the combine, ran that 4'8", 440. This is a dude who has tremendous length, a guy who, who can bend the edge and, and get after the quarterback, uh, long arms, uh, uses those those long levers to his advantage. Look, 24 tackles for loss, 15 sacks in his career there with the Gamecocks in South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think you really start addressing some of those needs. And then on day three, you can start looking at the trenches, talking about the offensive and defensive tackles and kind of moving on from there. So now we're going to get into the teams with a single pick, just one in really all three of these teams in round number three. They don't have a pick in the first two rounds of the draft. So really Day two, not a whole lot of action unless they look to try to trade back into the draft for some reason. Um, so I think the first team that we're going to start off with is the Las Vegas Raiders because they are sitting there at number 86 overall. And I think with them, I, I, I think that the Raiders need to look at um, 
that linebacking core. Nicholas Morrow's not there. Nick uh, Kwiatkowski, Corey Littleton. None of those guys are on the roster anymore. KJ Wright's also a free agent. So right now you're talking about Denzel Perryman, Divine Diablo, Kyle Wilbur, uh, Markel Lee as some of those linebackers. And I think that's not going to necessarily really move the needle for you on that defensive side of the football. I think that's one of those things that uh, you know the Raiders are absolutely going to need to address. They did do that with, with Jayon Brown. They brought in Kyler Fackrell as well. Uh, Micah Kaiser, I mentioned him earlier. He's actually with the Raiders now. So they did try to address that linebacker position, but I still think you need to get additional playmakers. And how about the human Swiss Army knife that is... Troy Anderson. Troy, Troy Anderson, look, this is a dude who, who's played just about every position that you can think of uh, there at Montana State. I mean, if you don't believe me, I mean, look, this dude played quarterback, running back, linebacker, and even punter all at the FCS level, which is insane as it is, right? Um, but at, at the linebacker position, he was named you know team captain this past season, FCS All-American, first team All-Big Sky at inside linebacker and look 150 tackles 14 going for loss seven passes defended two sacks couple of interceptions as well uh, he was named the fcs 88 national defensive player of the year big sky defensive player of the year as well um, dude was just making plays all over the field but then the question was is his game going to translate to the next level or was he just playing you know at that fcs level against inferior competition well look you know he, he put on a show at the senior bowl you know, he had some mental lapses at times in coverage, but the athleticism was absolutely off the charts. And then it just continued to the combine. At 6'3", 243 pounds, dude runs a 4'4", 36-inch vertical leap as well. Tremendous athleticism. Troy Anderson just feels like a Raider. You know, and this is a guy that could potentially be used on the offensive side of the football. I wouldn't rule that out either. I think if the Raiders go with him here, um, you know, you get a guy who's going to be a versatile weapon for you. Um, you know, I think Patrick Graham, Nick Lombardi, you know, the, uh, the defensive and offensive coordinators will be fighting over some time there. Josh McDaniels, I, I think you could put in a package where you could see him potentially on the offensive side of the football, but a, a dude who I think could absolutely hold down that defensive side. You know, he's going to be an inside linebacker, but I think you could ultimately kick him to that weak side. Um, you know, Divine Diablo could potentially move to a safety spot and, and be able to free things up there for uh, Troy Anderson. You got to get the guy on the field. I think that'd be a great pick for the Raiders there in round number three, which takes us to the Miami Dolphins, who have the 102nd overall pick in the draft. They get this from San Francisco. It's a compensatory selection. I think. Miami needs to address the cornerback spot. Uh, when you look at the the Dolphins, what they have there, they've got Xavier Howard, they've got Byron Jones. You know, they do have Noah Igbenogany who's still developing, but I think you need to get another corner in there. You know, Justin Coleman's a free agent. Um, so when I'm looking at that position for them, I'm looking at Tarek Castro Fields, 6'1", 197 pounds. Uh, you know, this is a guy who uh, was a veteran there for Penn State. Uh, you know, there's a long line of cornerbacks, and I think this is another guy that can fit into that mold. Ran a 4-3-8-40 at the Combine, a guy who has really good ball skills. So I, I think that'd be a nice pick there for Miami, uh, one, number 102. And then the Rams, 104 overall. You know, this is a team that, look, Les Need wears the shirt that says F them picks. And we know that they don't really like those picks in the first couple of rounds, but they do find gems you know, in round three and beyond. But Cooper Cup was a third-round pick. 
So I'm looking at the Rams, and I'm looking at that pass rush. They don't have Vaughn Miller. They need to get another guy coming off the edge. How about D'Angelo Malone? He's 6'3", 243 pounds. I know he's a little undersized, but he plays a lot more physical than uh, you would expect for a guy his size. Um, a, a guy you saw it at the Senior Bowl could get physical, could get under the pad level, play with you know a lot more punch. You see that bull rush out of him, which is kind of surprising again for a guy who's only 243 pounds. But 349 career tackles for the Hilltoppers, 59 tackles for loss, 32 and a half sacks. He did have double-digit sacks in 2019, which was probably his best year statistically. 99 tackles, 20 and a half for loss, 11 sacks. But this past season, look, he followed that up. Kind of had a subpar 2020 for his standards. So that's why he decided to come back for one more year. Took advantage of, of the COVID year, if you will. So 94 tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss, 8 sacks. You know, this is a guy, look, you know, Conference USA, Defensive Player of the Year. But a guy who can just get after the quarterback. Can flat do that. And I think that's what the Rams need. So I think this makes a lot of sense for them at the end of round number 3. So, taking you through the first three rounds of my mock draft over the last two podcasts, I think the next step here is to really take, start taking a look at some of these positions. Study some of the draft classes, the positional groups, starting with the quarterbacks, making our way through. Really, where do I see some of these guys coming off the board? Where are some of the strengths? Who are some of the guys that are overrated? Some of the guys that might be flying under the radar and the guys that I will always pound the table for. So stay tuned for those. We're really going to be working fast and furious over the next couple of weeks heading up to the draft. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Have a great week, everyone. Until next time, I am.